Hello and welcome to Lifetimes of Learning, a production at the Buddhist Discussion Centre Australia. In our podcast series, we will be discussing the teachings and principles of Buddha Dharma, which is just as relevant today as they were 2,600 years ago. In this podcast, we will cover Chapter 15 of the book titled Bringing Wisdom to Life, authored by Anita Carter and Frank Carter, published by Tableau Publishing in 2018, copyright held by Buddhist Discussion Centre Upwide Limited. Whether you are on the meditation cushion or on your way to work, we invite you to bring your mind inside and listen to the teachings of the Buddha. Chapter 15, The Perfection of Wisdom The Macquarie English Dictionary defines wisdom as knowledge of what is true or right coupled with just judgment as to action. The perfection of wisdom, as opposed to conventional wisdom, concerns the direct realization of the Dharma, or one individual directly perceiving in the mind the truth about the way things really are, the law of karma, the law of dependent origination, selflessness and emptiness. These are underlying constructs of the absolute nature of reality the Buddha discovered by his perfection of wisdom. There are many levels of wisdom which can be described. For our purposes, we'll talk about wisdom of three types only. The first, we would call worldly wisdom. The second, we could call higher order wisdom. And the third, we could call the perfection of wisdom. All three are important to Buddhist practice because they each offer powerful means to reduce our suffering now and in the future. And finally, it is the only wisdom that enables a practitioner to complete the Buddhist path and be free from all forms of suffering. The first type, which we call worldly wisdom, deals with methods and means which help us navigate through our lives and enable us to be more effective in what we are trying to do. Things like time planning, goal setting, positive thinking, patience, emotional maturity and self-education are examples we are all familiar with. They each contribute something to help us to be better equipped to deal with life and the process of looking after our well-being and happiness and the others around us as well. The second type of wisdom that we are calling higher wisdom is higher in the sense that it deals with clear insights arising in our minds into how we live and how we react to life experiences. These insights may deal with the more fundamental aspects of life, or on a smaller scale, there may be insights which help us deal better with particular inter-situations or improve our own reactions to things happening in our life. These insights have the characteristic of enlightening our mind, or putting it in another way, giving us a brand new view of something so we are better equipped to deal with life sanely. Sometimes a person may hear or realize some aspect of this type of wisdom, 
and it could end up changing the life forever. One student's experience when he was about 23 years old is an example of this. I was traveling across a field in a train in Sardinia. The single carriage train just passed over the natural countryside, and at this moment through a field of long grass. As I was looking out from the back landing of this train, it occurred to me that I had never found anything in my life which I felt as worth being dedicated to doing. Or as I put it, I hadn't found anything that was worth my life. Because when you take on long-term commitments, it's your life which you are spending to do that thing or be in that relationship. I had a really fortunate and happy childhood, completed my tertiary education, worked in corporate life for a few years, been in a happy relationship with a girlfriend and spent 12 months traveling around the globe. Yet, I couldn't identify a single thing which I felt had true substance or consequence or meaning for my life. Family life is one of the main things people identify as what they feel deeply committed to. But personally, it didn't have that appeal to me. I felt, if there was something of true worth out there, I should find out what that was first, before I had committed my life to other things. So, I had this idea, and this is an example of the second type of wisdom. If I ever found something of true worth, I would do it 100%. I would not feel torn between that and some other lesser priorities. And that's in fact what did happen when I started to understand what Buddhism was all about. And it was an initiating cause for me being here learning Buddhism now. From a Buddhist point of view, the chance to learn how to practice the path to full enlightenment is extremely rare. To start with, just getting a human birth is considered to be inconceivably rare. A simile the Buddha gave to illustrate this is to imagine There is a small circle floating on the surface of the ocean, much like a life buoy. Then, imagine the turtles swimming along deeply in the ocean. Eventually, after a long time, it surfaces. The chance that the turtles will come to the surface directly inside the life buoy circle is equivalent to the likelihood of a being will, on average, be born in human birth. The Buddhist teaching says to not waste this incredible rare human birth. Use it wisely to do what is of most benefit for yourself and others now. Practice the Dharma for your future well-being, for the person you will become. You may believe it is most important to help others to be well and happy, which is certainly a wholesome wish. But then wisdom also says, if you really want to help others, first, Help yourself by fixing yourself up. If you decide that's for you, then you need to find out how to structure your life and your time to fix yourself up whilst the opportunity to do so still exists. Wisdom is using the resources of time and opportunity you have in your life to do things that are worthwhile and beneficial for yourself and others. Even perceived negative situations that occur to us 
usually offer the possibility of Buddhist practice. An example of this would be when someone unjustly blames us or criticizes us. Some Buddhist teachers of the past have said people who give you the hardest time can be your best teachers. In the difficulty of the situation, you can make a concerted effort to maintain wholesomeness and to build the quality of patience as a means to deal with the unpleasant. Wisdom is not following your habitual karma. When it causes suffering for yourself and others, that's a really simple statement on the surface, but it requires us to recognize and analyze our thoughts, speech, and actions to see what they produce. There are things we do which are creating suffering for ourselves and others every day. We may even know what some of them are. Wisdom is to recognize the unwholesome actions, thoughts, and attitudes and abandon those things. Conversely, wisdom is not giving up doing the good things when we know they are beneficial. It means if we can see something is really worthwhile for ourselves or others, then don't give it up because of laziness, procrastination, anger, or any other defilement. It is wisdom to develop mindfulness as much as you can. The Buddha was once asked to describe the essence of his teachings in one word. His answer was mindfulness. The thing about the practice of mindfulness is you can do it anytime, any place. You don't need more spare time or more money, more anything. You just need the will. A great Sri Lanka Buddhist monk, Venerable Piyadasi Mahathera, said in a Dharma talk at the Buddhist Discussion Centre Australia in 1991. You know about this discourse on mindfulness. Be mindful of everything. Be mindful. Practice it. Then you get used to it. Then you see the advantages. People today, because they don't have mindfulness, must create trouble for themselves unnecessarily. Because of this lacking of mindfulness, they get all sorts of troubles. You can run mindfully without tension, without creating stress. You go driving your car, you come to traffic lights. Most people, you know, when they see the green turning to ember, they get agitated. Oh, it is red. Impatient. It is red, so the best thing to do, the sensible thing, is when you see the red, to not get agitated. There's a little rest for you. Leave the wheel, take a deep breath, you see, and patiently wait for the green. No tension. The thing is, a lot of our suffering comes from little things like this. Our own behaviour from minute to minute contributes to our immediate experience, of either some form of happiness or some form of suffering. If we think that it is not important to deal with the little things, that we should concentrate on big ideas or radical changes to live more happily, we will not realize the real key to happiness is to understand how to train our minds. We will have every worldly thing we want, but we will not know how to be happy. It is the ability to promote wholesome minds and wholesome actions 
for as long as we can brings forth the experience of happiness. You can say, how many minutes of happy heart did I experience today? If you find this number of minutes per day of happy heart is increasing on average from week to week, you are going in the right direction. We say happy heart to distinguish this form of happiness from the type of happiness which comes from getting something we want in the world. We want to build happiness which comes from within. Because, of, because the happiness that depends on external conditions which we can't control is completely unreliable. This is wisdom to cultivate loving kindness and compassion rather than negative emotions when we see the suffering in the world around us. One can cultivate loving kindness and compassion through having empathy with the situation of the other beings. They're facing life's complexities, uncertainties, and difficulties just as we are. You can see it is hard for them. Life is complex. For many persons, life is a constant struggle, and many others don't have even the basics to look after themselves and their families properly. You can see the fragile and perilous nature of animal and insect birth. The being is caught in an unfortunate karma. All desire happiness, all fear pain. In this, we are all alike. All beings are alike. Recognizing this, one should not place oneself above others. One should not regard oneself differently from the way in which one would regard others. This recognition of the fundamental equality of all human beings is basic to the cultivation of loving kindness and compassion. All want happiness just as I want happiness. Understanding this, one ought to regard all living beings with loving kindness and compassion. One ought to cultivate this wish that all living beings may be happy. Just as I fear suffering and pain and wish to avoid it, so do all living beings fear suffering and pain and wish to avoid it. Understanding this, one develops and cultivates an attitude that wishes to see all living beings free from suffering. Now above is a quote from Fundamentals of Buddhism. Published, written by Peter Della Santini in 2005. It is wisdom to recognize with broad view the full scope of the sentient beings. True condition like this. We develop a more realistic appreciation of why it is urgent to not waste this precious condition for having the Dharma appear in our world which grants us the possibility to cut off of birth in the lower planes of existence forever. The word Dharma has been defined by one Buddhist monk as that teaching which enables us to cut off the possibility of being reborn in the lower planes of existence at any future time. Wisdom knows to plan a life to create sufficient leisure time to practice the Dharma. Wisdom knows it is hard to practice charity if you are poor. Wisdom knows your life is totally dependent on the work and kindness of others. 
Wisdom knows to respect the truth and keep the precept. To refrain from lying makes it easier to understand and learn what is needed. The third type of wisdom, the perfection of wisdom, as opposed to conventional wisdom, concerns the direct recognition of what is real, realization of the Dharma, the law of dependent origination, selflessness, and emptiness. To help our consideration of what is meant by the perfection of wisdom, we can reflect on the period just prior to the night of the Buddha's own enlightenment, which occurred more than two thousand five hundred and sixty years ago. The following is from the Vita Vita Kasuta, Two Sorts of Thinking, MN. Nineteen. So I have heard. At one time, the Buddha was staying near Savati in Jata's Grove, another Pindika's monastery. There, the Buddha addressed the mendicants. Mendicants, venerable sir, they replied. The Buddha said this. Mendicants, before my awakening. When I was still unawakened but intent on awakening, I thought, "Why don't I meditate by continually dividing my thoughts into two classes?" So I assign sensual, malicious, and cruel thoughts to one class, and I assign thoughts of renunciation, love, and kindness to the second class. Then, as I meditated, diligent, keen, and resolute. A sensual thought arose. I understood. This sensual thought has a reason in me. It leads to hurting myself, hurting others, and hurting both. It blocks wisdom. It's on the side of anguish. It doesn't lead to extinguishment. When I reflected that it leads to hurting myself, it went away. When I reflected that it leads to hurting others, it went away. When I reflected that it leads to hurting both, it went away. When I reflected that it blocks wisdom, it's on the side of anguish, and it doesn't lead to extinguishment, it went away. So I gave up, got rid of, and eliminated any sensual thoughts that arose. Then, as I meditated, diligent, keen, and resolute, a malicious thought arose. A cruel thought arose. I understood. This cruel thought has arisen in me. It leads to hurting myself, hurting others, and hurting both. It blocks wisdom. It's on the side of anguish, and it doesn't lead to extinguishment. When I reflected that it leads to hurting myself, hurting others, hurting both, it went away. When I reflected that it blocks wisdom. It's on the side of anguish, and it doesn't lead to extinguishment. It went away, so I gave up, got rid of, and eliminated any cruel thoughts that arose. Whatever a mendicant frequently thinks about and considers becomes their heart's inclination. If they often think about and consider sensual thoughts, they've given up the thought of renunciation to cultivate sensual thought. The mind inclines to sensual thoughts. If they often think about 
and consider malicious thoughts, the mind inclines to malicious thoughts. If they often think about and consider crude thoughts, the mind inclines to crude thoughts. Suppose it's the last month of the rainy season, when the crops grow closely together, and the cowherd must take care of the cattle. He to tap and poke them with his staff on the side, and that to keep them in check. Why is that? For he sees that if they wander into the crops. He could be executed, imprisoned, fined, or censured. In the same way, I saw that unskillful qualities have drawbacks, depravity, and corruption, and that skillful qualities have the benefit and cleansing power of renunciation. Then, as I meditated, diligent, keen, and resolute, a thought of renunciation arose. I understood. This thought of renunciation has arisen in me. It doesn't lead to hurting myself, hurting others, or hurting both. It nourishes wisdom. It's on the side of freedom from anguish, and it leads to extinguishment. If I were to keep on thinking and considering like this all night, all day, all night and day, I see no danger that would come from that. Still. Thinking and considering for too long would tire my body, and when the body is tired, the mind is stressed, and when the mind is stressed, it's far from immersion. So I stilled, settled, unified, and immersed my mind internally. Why is that? So that my mind would not be stressed. Then, as I meditated, diligent, keen, and resolute. A thought of loving arose, a thought of kindness arose. I understood. This thought of kindness has arisen in me. It doesn't lead to hurting myself, hurting others, or hurting both. It nourishes wisdom. It's on the side of freedom from anguish, and it leads to extinguishment. If I were to keep on thinking and considering like this all night, all day, or night and day. I see no danger that would come from that. Still, thinking and considering for too long would tire my body, and when the body is tired, the mind is stressed, and when the mind is stressed, it's far from immersion. So I stilled, settled, unified, and immersed my mind internally. Why is that? So that my mind would not be stressed. Whatever a mendicant frequently thinks about and considers becomes their heart's inclination. If they often think about and consider thoughts of renunciation, they've given up central thoughts to cultivate the thought of renunciation. Their mind inclines to thought of renunciation. If they often think about and consider thoughts of love, their mind inclines to thoughts of love. If they often think about And consider thoughts of kindness. The mind inclines to thoughts of kindness. Suppose it's the last month of summer, when all the crops have been gathered into the neighborhood of a village, and a cowherd must take care of the cattle. While at the root of a tree or in the open, he need only be mindful that the cattle are there. In the same way, I needed only to be mindful that those things were there. 
My energy was roused up and vigorous. My mindfulness was established and lucid. My body was tranquil and undisturbed, and my mind was immersed in samadhi. Quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unskillful qualities, I entered and remained in the first absorption, which has the rapture and bliss born from seclusion. While placing the mind and keeping it connected, as the placing of the mind and keeping it connected was stilled, I entered and remained in the second absorption, which has the rapture and bliss born of immersion, with internal clarity and confidence, and unified mind, without placing the mind and keeping it connected, and with the fading away of rapture, I entered. And remained in the third absorption, where I meditated with equanimity, mindful and aware, personally experiencing the bliss of which the noble ones declare, equanimous and mindful one meditates in bliss. With the giving up of pleasure and pain, and the ending of former happiness and sadness, I entered and remained in the fourth absorption. Without pleasure or pain, with pure equanimity and mindfulness. When my mind had immersed in samadhi like this, purified, bright, spotless, rid of taints, pliable, workable, steady, and imperturbable, I extended towards recollection of past lives. I recollected many kinds of past lives. With features and details, this was the first knowledge which I achieved in the first watch of the night. Ignorance was destroyed, and knowledge arose. Darkness was destroyed, and light arose. As happens for a meditator who is diligent, keen, and resolute. When my mind had become immersed in samadhi like this. I extended towards knowledge of the death and rebirth of sentient beings, with clairvoyance that is purified and superhuman. I saw sentient beings passing away and being reborn, inferior and superior, beautiful and ugly, in a good place or a bad place. I understood how sentient beings are reborn according to their deeds. This was the second knowledge. Which I achieved in the middle watch of the night. Ignorance was destroyed, and knowledge arose. Darkness was destroyed, and light arose, as happens for a meditator who is diligent, keen, and resolute. When my mind had become immersed in samadhi like this, I extended it towards knowledge of the ending of defilements. I truly understood. This is suffering. This is the origin of suffering. This is the cessation of suffering. This is the practice that leads to the cessation of suffering. I truly understood. This are defilements. This is the origin of defilements. This is the cessation of defilements. This is the practice that leads to the cessation of defilements. Knowing and seeing like this. My mind was freed from the defilements of sensuality, 
desire to be reborn and ignorance. Understood, rebirth is ended. The spiritual journey has been completed. What had to be done has been done. There is no return to any state of existence. This was the third knowledge, which I achieved in the last watch of the night. Ignorance was destroyed, and knowledge arose. Darkness was destroyed, and light arose, as happens for a meditator who is diligent, keen, and resolute. Suppose that in a forested wilderness there was an expanse of low-lying swampland, and a large herd of deer lived nearby. Then along comes a person who wants to harm, injure, and threaten them. They close off the safe, secure path that leads to happiness, and open the wrong path. There they plant domesticated male and female deer as decoys. That, in due course, that herd of deer will come to ruin and disaster. Then along comes a person. Who wants to help keep the herd of deer safe? They open up the safe, secure path that leads to happiness, and close off the wrong path. They get rid of the coils that, so that in due course, that herd of deer would grow, increase, and mature. I've made up the simile to make a point, and this is what it means: an expanse of low-lying swampland. Is a term of sensual pleasures. A large herd of deer is a term for sentient beings. A person who wants to harm, injure, or threaten them is a term for Mara, the wicked. The wrong path is a term for the wrong eightfold path, that is, wrong view, wrong thought, wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood, wrong effort, wrong mindfulness, and wrong immersion. A domesticated male deer is a term for desire with volition. A domesticated female deer is a term for ignorance. A person who wants to keep herd, the herd of deer safe, is a term for the realized one, the perfect one, the fully awakened Buddha. The safe, secure path that leads to happiness is a term for noble eightfold path, that is, right view. Right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right immersion. So, mendicants, I have opened up the safe, secure path to happiness and closed off the wrong path, and I have got rid of the male and female decoys. Out of compassion, I've done what a teacher should do for the benefit of their disciples. Here are three roots of trees, and here are these empty huts. Practice absorption, mendicants. Don't be negligent. Don't regret it later. This is my instruction to you. This is what the Buddha said. Satisfied, the mendicants were happy with what the Buddha said. May the many courses made offering these teachings enable you to know. Realize and follow the Buddha Dharma now and in your future, so that you become fully enlightened. The merit made is dedicated to all beings. May this gift of merit help all beings know the path, realize the path, 
and followed path. This concludes chapter fifteen, which is the last chapter of the book titled "Bringing Wisdom to Life." Thank you for listening to our Lifetimes of Learning podcast. To listen to other chapters of this book and our other recordings, please go to our website www.bdcu.org.au and click on Dharma Teachings, or you can go to our online World Buddhist Radio station from our website by clicking on Buddhist Radio. May you be well and happy. May all beings be well and happy.